0: Hey everybody, it's Jake Heller back again for another episode of Jake's Take. I appreciate you guys tuning in once again. Happy Saturday. Hope everybody is enjoying their day. So much to cover on today's show, and I thank you guys for tuning in once again with all of your support. So on today's show, we will be recapping Championship Weekend at Phoenix Raceway with all of NASCAR's top three series. One chapter may have ended for Brad Keselowski after 12 years with Team Penske, but a new one begins... Not with Roush Fenway, but RFK, as I predicted, Roush Fenway-Keslowski Racing this past Tuesday at Charlotte Motor Speedway. He, Jack Roush, and Steve Newmark, the president of the team, they announced the rebranding of the company to RFK, Roush Fenway-Keslowski. Beautiful looking car that Brad had for the next-gen test at Charlotte Motor Speedway on Wednesday and Thursday. Obviously going to be recapping the test session, but sure enough, that chrome Number six, the new font that, that they have for the number six and the logo for the company. Definitely exciting times ahead for 2022. And speaking of 2022, NASCAR yesterday announced some new role changes for next year with practice and qualifying returning on a full-time basis for all of NASCAR's top three series. Like it used to be before the pandemic really, really threw a wrench into the way things have been in the sport for the past year and a half as we know, no qualifying, no practice for the longest time. They would just show up and race. Well, sure enough, practice and qualifying will be coming back in 2022. Just a completely different format. And Week 11 in the National Football League kicking off two nights ago with the New England Patriots beating the Atlanta Falcons 25 to nothing. And, I mean, really, what a bounce-back year for the New England Patriots. 7-4, and four, already as many wins as they had all of last year, their first season in the post-Tom Brady era which was their first losing season, obviously, since Tom Brady's rookie year in 2000 when he was the backup to Drew Bledsoe at quarterback. And I think what really stands out was an unconventional offseason for the New England Patriots, like Jason Boone talked about back in the springtime, how Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft, how they went out and acquired so many good free agents, which is unconventional. I mean, really, the only other time that I can remember them doing it was 2007 when they put together that super team that went to the Super Bowl, went 18-0, only to lose to Eli Manning, Tom Coughlin, and the New York Giants. But sure enough, acquiring two really, really good tight ends, W. Smith from the Tennessee Titans and Hunter Henry from the Los Angeles Chargers. You know, that came to mind, getting Matthew Judon from the Baltimore Ravens, Nelson Aguilar after a year with the Las Vegas Raiders. It looked like he and Derek Carr were going to be a really, really good combination together. But I think what stood out was, was drafting Mac Jones, quarterback out of the University of Alabama, and really for Mac to fall all the way to 15th overall in the draft because we know Bill Belichick. We know the sharp mind that he is. You know, he's always trading away and acquiring so many draft picks. And I think with Bill having that insight to all the talent at the University of Alabama since himself and Nick Saban, since they're the best of friends after the time that they those two worked together with the Cleveland Browns in the late nine or the mid nineties, excuse me, ninety four, ninety five, shortly before Art Modell moved the team to Baltimore. As dominant as Alabama has been under Nick Saban for the past twelve or thirteen years or so, I mean really every position has stood out. Running back, wide receiver, offensive line, defensive line, linebackers, defensive backs. The only weak position, I guess you could say, for Alabama for the longest time has been quarterback. And sure enough, the jury is still out on Tua to Tagovailoa with the Miami Dolphins and Jalen Hurts with the Philadelphia Eagles. But... I think for Bill to have that insight knowledge and for Mack to fall, he was projected to go third overall, maybe to the San Francisco 49ers. Ultimately, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, they decided to go with Trey Lance from North Dakota State. And for that, really that narrative that really Alabama quarterbacks aren't that great aside from Bart Starr, Joe Namath, and Kenny Stabler, for Mack to fall all the way to 15th and Belichick not having to trade up whatsoever to get him – Without a doubt, this kid has wrapped up NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year honors easily with seven weeks left in the regular season. I mean, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, all those guys, they have not lived up to their hype or potential or even come close. And Mac Jones, the completion percentage that he has had the past few weeks, even better numbers than when Tom Brady took over as a starter in 2001, even better numbers when Dak Prescott, took over for Tony Romo in 2016. I think that they have done a really, really good job. I don't know if they're going to get to the Super Bowl, but I think that the Patriots will be back in the playoffs. How far they go, that remains to be seen. But that Monday night game in a couple weeks against the Buffalo Bills at Orchard Park just got a lot more interesting. So like I said, championship weekend at Phoenix Raceway. Friday night, November 5th, with the Camping World Truck Series. Sure enough, the four guys that were racing for the championship, John Hunter Niemicek, the amazing season that he had with Kyle Busch Motorsports, five wins on the year, Las Vegas, Richmond, Charlotte, Texas, and Pocono. And then Ben Rhodes, who won the first two races of the season at Daytona and the Daytona Road Course. And aside from that, Matt Crafton sort of sneaking his way in like he did two years ago when he won the championship without winning a race. And Zane Smith, the walk-off win at Martinsville Speedway, knocking out his teammate Sheldon Creed of defending his title. But sure enough, the championship race was underway with Chandler Smith and Sheldon Creed on the front row. Sheldon really looked like he had the dominant truck on the night as he led 106 laps. But I think really what stood out was Chandler Smith finally living up to that potential that he had shown in the ARCA series these past few years and having a better long-run truck and an incredible battle that those two had. And sure enough, Chandler Smith passing Sheldon Creed for the lead with just 17 laps to go. But the championship race itself, you know, for John Hunter Nemechek to dominate all season like he did, get into the wall just a few laps in and then seven laps in, the left front tire goes down and he has to pit and he's two laps down just like that. And I mean, really, what a, what a drop in performance these past few weeks after getting hooked and Martinsville Speedway going into turn three, hooked head on into the wall by Austin Wayne Self. You know, definitely a disappointing end to a dominant season for John Hunter and Nemechek. But it's so good that he's going to be back in that four truck next year. Himself, Eric Phillips, and Kyle Busch. I think that those two easily, that's easily going to be my pick for this championship in 2022. So most of the night, it looked like Ben Rhodes. It looked like he was in control of this championship. But I'll tell you what, Zane Smith, he definitely, for someone that had just got in a week before at Martinsville Speedway, the walk-off win that he had, you know, Zane kept him honest. And sure enough, he was able to pass Ben Rhodes. And it really, really looked like Zane Smith was going to win this championship with one win and three top five finishes on the year. And especially when Zane himself doesn't even have a job for 2022. The story goes that Zane had signed a deal earlier this year with Chip Ganassi Racing. He was actually going to move up to the Cup Series in 2022. Then, as we know, Chip Ganassi sells his Cup team to Justin Marks Pitbull Trackhouse Racing. So, sure enough, at the moment, we don't even know about any plans that Zane Smith has for 2022. Trucks, Xfinity, maybe even Cup, nothing has been announced. But, sure enough, with just 10 laps to go, Ben Rhodes driving into what used to be Turn 3 at Phoenix, driving in as hard as he possibly can, knocking Zane Smith out of the way to assume that position of leading the championship. As I said, Chandler Smith was leading. Stuart Friesen was second. Sheldon Creed had faded to fourth. So sure enough, Ben Rhodes running in third and finishing third behind Chandler Smith and Stuart Friesen to claim the 2021 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series championship. Sheldon Creed came home fourth. Zane Smith fifth. And second in the championship for two years in a row, Christian Eckes in sixth, John Hunter Nemechek in seventh, and third in the championship after such a dominant season, Todd Gilliland in eighth. I don't know about Todd's plans for 2022, but if he comes back to that 38 truck, I could definitely see him making the Final Four. Carson Hosevar in ninth. I think Carson is going to surprise a lot. I mean, he surprised a lot of people this year, but I, I feel like he will definitely win some races next year in that 42 truck for Al Nice. And Austin Hill rounding out the top 10 in his final race with the 16-team Shiggy Hittori before he heads off to the NASCAR Xfinity Series next year to race alongside Sheldon Creed at Richard Childress Racing. Johnny Sauter in 11th. Johnny, unknown about his plans for 2022 as he's going to be 44 years old in May, hasn't won since May of 2019 at Dover. And his teammate Matt Crafton finishing 12th in the race and 4th in the championship. Grant Enfinger in 13th. Like I said, Grant's going back over to GMS next year. I definitely see him making the Final Four and possibly finishing second to John Herner Nemechek in the championship. Tyler Ankrum in 14th. It almost sounds like Tyler's time at GMS Racing is going to be coming to an end and really a disappointing end for sure. Derek Kraus, Chase Purdy, Haley Deegan. It sounds like Haley will be back in that one truck next year for David Gilliland. Drew Dollar in 18th. Really a total disappointment driving that 51 truck for Kyle Busch. Followed by Ryan Truex, Jack Wood, Dean Thompson, who's going full-time next year. Will Rogers, Jordan Anderson, Willie Allen, Ty Dillon in 25th, Austin Wayne soft 26th. Chris Hacker in 27th. Followed by Danny Bone, Taylor Gray, Corey Roper, Spencer Boyd, Chris Wright, And out of the race, Tyler Hill with alternator issues, Tate Fogelman, electrical issues, Tanner Gray, rear gear, and Lawless Allen wrecking 11 laps into the race. So Ben Rhodes, your 2021 NASCAR Camping World Truck Series champion. You guys know how critical I have been of Ben Rhodes over the years. And maybe some of it might have been in 2015 when he had the opportunity to drive the number 88 Xfinity car for Junior Motorsports. And his first time out at Iowa Speedway, he finished seventh. But afterwards, wreck after wreck after wreck after wreck. And to me, Ben had always seemed aggressive and probably too aggressive at times. I mean, look at the, the, the Camping World Truck Race at Kansas in 2016 when he wrecked Johnny Sauter. Going into turn three on the last lap of the race, both of them crashed. And Johnny Sauter, pot cowl on the kettle black. How do you call them a Bozo? I mean, those are two of the more aggressive drivers out there. And sure enough, they've been teammates at ThorSport for the past few years. But I think the beginning of this year, winning at Daytona, winning at the Daytona Road Course, I feel like Ben definitely showed more maturity as the season went on. He was consistent. He had enough points to fall back on to make it to the championship four. And sure enough, he is your 2021 champion, and he will be back in that 99 truck next year. As I said, Zane Smith... I don't know what the future holds for him, but three truck wins last year in Michigan and Dover, this year in Martinsville, which was a must-win situation. Bit of a sophomore slump this year, three top fives on the year only, the other one being at Nashville Super Speedway in June when he finished 4th. I think that Zane definitely has a future in the sport, and I hope that he finds a a good quality ride for 2022. And like I said, John Hunter Nemechek, I'm kind of surprised that he isn't moving up to the Xfinity Series next year, but I really, really think that he's going to do a remarkable job being back in that Ford truck with Eric Phillips and Kyle Busch. And without a doubt, that's who I see winning this championship in 2022. Then on Saturday night, November 6th, with the NASCAR Xfinity Series, Daniel Hemrick, second 10 times, had never won a race in any of NASCAR's top three series. Austin Cindric, the defending series champion, five wins on the year, the season opener at Daytona was one of them, and also wins at Phoenix, just, just like he had done the year before, winning the championship in November, and then also winning at Dover International Speedway. And... Also winning at the Indianapolis Road Course, knowing how much that means to Team Pansky, And, of course, the big announcement that he is moving up to the Cup Series full-time in 2022 to replace Brad Keselowski in that two-car as he moves on to Rash Fenway Keselowski. I think it really comes as a surprise that Austin is moving up to the Cup Series. But remember the initial reports that it was going to be in the 21 car for Wood Brothers Racing. But we knew that that wasn't going to last, especially with Tim Sindrick, his father, being the president of the company. So, as I said, five wins on the year for Austin Cindrick, Daytona, the season opener, Phoenix in March, Dover, Pocono on June 27th, and the Indianapolis Road Course. Another five-win season on the year, and what an amazing season itself for A.J. Allmendinger. His first full-time season in NASCAR Xfinity Series, winning at Las Vegas in March, mid-Ohio in June, Michigan in August, and that incredible battle, at Bristol in September with Austin Cindrick for the win and the regular season championship, the two of them crashing after the checkered flag, and winning at the Charlotte Roval in October for the third year in a row. And I expected a junior motorsports car to be a part of that championship for. Unfortunately, it wasn't Justin Allgaier, just barely missing out on that championship four by a couple points. His teammate Noah Gregson, did I call that or what, that he was going to have a walk-off win and advance to the championship four somewhat of a breakout here I guess you could say for Noah somewhat I mean he had won two races last year but I think with how horrible of a season they had to start with and to reel off those two back-to-back wins at Darlington and Richmond in September and that walk-off win at Martinsville Speedway after crashing at Kansas I think that Noah has shown some improvement and potential but now you wonder what the situation holds for 2022 is he will be back and that nine car for Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Kelly Earnhardt Miller, but his crew chief, Dave Ellens, finally getting the opportunity to move up to the NASCAR Cup Series in 2022 and become the crew chief on the 43 car for Eric Jones and Richard Petty Motorsports. Congratulations to Dave Ellens. A long time coming. All those years with Hendrick Motorsports. He was the engineer on Jimmy Johnson's car when he won the championship in 2013 and getting the opportunity to become a crew chief at Junior Motorsports in 2016, winning races with Chase Elliott at Daytona, Dale Earnhardt Jr. at Richmond, and then becoming the crew chief of the nine car in 2017, winning races with William Byron at Iowa, Daytona, and Phoenix, and winning that championship. And then the next year with Tyler Reddick winning at Daytona and Miami and winning that championship and uh, helping Noah mature into a better driver. You know, I thought that Dave maybe would have become the crew chief for William Byron on the 24 car this year, but definitely a long time coming for Dave Allens. So sure enough, Saturday night at Phoenix, Austin Cindric on the pole, John Hunter Nemechek in second, Justin Allgaier third, Daniel Hemrick fourth, and Noah Gregson in qualified seventh, and A.J. Allmendinger twelfth. And on that Saturday night at Phoenix, sure enough, it was looking like Austin Cindric, who I had picked to go back-to-back, it really, really looked like it was his championship to lose but as he led 113 laps on the night, winning the first stage. But I think the one that stood out the most was Daniel Hemrick. And I think Daniel had heard that story time and time and time and time again, second 10 times in the NASCAR Xfinity series, and also second several times in the Camping World Truck series as well when he drove for Brad Keselowski, finishing second at Chicago and Las Vegas in 2016, and then you look to the NASCAR Xfinity Series, when you look at how many times that he had finished second before, his time with Richard Childress racing, second at Mid-Ohio in 2017, then in 2018, second at Michigan to Austin Dillon in the rain, second at Kentucky, then second at Kansas to John Hunter Nemechek when he got his first win, then another second at Phoenix. Then moving up to the Cup Series, full-time in 2019, driving that eight car for Richard Childress. But really a horrible year, just one top five, a fifth at Talladega, and another top ten, seventh in the July race at Pocono. Having to go back down to the Xfinity Series, getting to drive a hand, dozen races or so in that eight car for Junior Motorsports, finishing second at Charlotte on Memorial Day, and then second at Kansas in October. So you get a one-year contract with Joe Gibbs Racing, and you see Kyle Busch winning races. You see Ty Gibbs, Joe Gibbs's grandson, winning races. And you're finishing second at Las Vegas in March, second at Road America to Kyle Busch, and then second to John Hunter Nemechek at Texas in October. And it's only a one-year deal, and you have to sign with Macaulay Racing, taking over Justin Haley's 11 car for 2022. I think that Daniel had just gotten so sick of hearing about second, 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 second. And sure enough, when that last caution came out, a lap 195 with Jade Buford in the 48 and Josh Williams in the 92 crashing. And that restart that he had going toe-to-toe with Austin Cindric and body, body slamming him at the line for not only his first NASCAR Xfinity Series win, but the 2021 NASCAR Xfinity Series championship. Definitely a feel-good moment for Daniel being, I mean, really, this was a case of A nice guy finally finishing first. And I really don't think there was anyone that was begrudged of him finally winning a race and also winning this championship. And I'm so glad that he was able to win it without... You guys know how I felt when Austin Dillon, when he won the 2013 Nationwide Series Championship without winning a race. Matt Crafton, when he won the 2019 Truck Series Championship without winning a race. That really chaps my ass, really. I mean, a winless champion. How disgusting does that really sound? So Daniel Hemrick, your 2021 NASCAR Xfinity Series champion as he will be heading off to Colleague Racing in that number 11 Chevrolet for 2022. Austin Sendrick, his final race in the, in the Xfinity Series 22 car for Team Penske. And who even knows if that might be the last race for Team Penske in the Xfinity Series. Brad Keselowski's gone. Austin Sendrick, Ryan Blaney, Joey Logano, Harrison Burton, who's now going to be in the 21 car for the Wood Brothers next year. They might be able to split time in that car, but who are you going to get for those races when Cup drivers aren't eligible? The Dash for Cash races, the playoff races, the championship race. Who are you going to get to drive that 22 car? Maybe Todd Gillen, but like I said, Todd has ties to Front Row and to his dad, David Gillen. I really don't know what the status is for that 22 team in 2022. Harrison Burton. His final race with Joe Gibbs Racing, finishing in third. Riley Herps fourth. Justin Moneymaker Haley rounding out the top five before he moves up to the Cup Series full-time in 2022. John Hunter Nemechek in sixth. Brandon Jones in seventh. He will be back in that 19 car for Joe Gibbs next year. Brett Moffitt, eighth. Justin Allgaier, ninth, finishing fifth in the championship after just barely missing out on the championship four. And Sheldon Creed top 10 in B.J. McLeod's 78 car before he takes over the number two at Richard Childress Racing in the Xfinity Series next year. Michael Lynette in his the final race of his career potentially, that one car for Junior Motorsports finishing in 11th, teammate Noah Gregson finishing 12th in the race and third in the championship, and his other teammate, Sam Mayer, who will be taking over that one car in 2022, finishing 13th, sure enough, Junior Motorsports, Sam Mayer in the 1, Justin Allgaier in the 7, Josh Berry in the 8, Noah Gregson in the 9, and Dale Earnhardt Jr. bringing back the 88 for when he will race at April 8th at Martinsville Speedway. A.J. Allmendinger, dream season that he had spun out late in the race, trying to to catch up. He finished 14th in the race. Dylan Lepton in 15th, Blaine Perkins 16th, Ryan Sieg in 17th, getting an alliance with Stuart Haas Racing. That's going to be huge. Jeremy Clements in 18th. Myatt Snyder, his last race with Richard Childress Racing. Sure enough, he will be moving over to the 31 car with Jordan Anderson as they have that RCR Alliance. Brandon Brown, let's go, Brandon. (laughs) Our Talladega winner in October, finishing 20th. David Starr, 21st. J.J. Yaley, 22nd. Jeb Burton in 23rd And his last race with Colleague Racing. No plans yet announced for 2022. Tommy Joe Martins in 22nd. Nazareth, Pennsylvania, Sage Karam in 25th, driving for, driving for Jordan Anderson. Kyle Weatherman in 26th, Ryan Sieg's younger brother, Kyle, in 27th. Ryan Vargas, 28th, Matt Mills, 29th, Alex LeBay in 30th. Bailey Curry, 31st, and then out of the race, Josh Williams and Jade Buford, they crashed. Stefan Parsons with an engine failure. Phil Sun, He will be racing full-time in 2022. Joe Graff Jr. with an accident, and thirty six was Jeffrey Earnhardt with an accident as well and jeffrey announced that he will not be back in that zero car or jd motorsports in 2022 he even said if he has to just like he did in 2019 doing a partial schedule he wants to be in race winning equipment so the other thing that really stood out to me speaking of the earnharts was jeffrey's uncle dale earnhardt jr the comments that he made in the podcast, this past podcast, when he had Eric Warren and Austin Dillon on to talk about the next gen car and the recap and championship weekend and everything. When he said, you know, Daniel Hemrick winning the you know, winning the championship and probably the only win of his career. Probably the only win of his career? Like, really, Dale? Like, I get that, you know, he drove that eight car at Junior Motorsports last year. I get that he didn't win you know, two second place finishes: Charlotte in May, Kansas in October. I mean, he was in the car for 21 races last year, and I know that he was in a lot of caught up in a lot of crashes. Some of them that a lot of them that weren't his of his own making. But to me, that almost sounds like sour grapes. You know, like oh, that'll probably be the only one of Daniel's career. Like, come on, Dale, you're better than that. Like, I I, I thought that was. I thought that was really, really out of bounds when I heard that on the podcast, and I understand the points that Matthew Dillner, his producer, was trying to make. You know, saying that you know Daniel drove for Brad Keselowski in the Truck Series, then in the Xfinity Series he drove for Richard Childress, he drove for Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Kelly Earnhardt Miller, and now here he was with Joe Gibbs, and sure enough, the only race that you win is your last race with the team, but at colleague racing. You know, colleague, it's definitely you could you could definitely sense the family atmosphere there with A.J. Almondinger, Justin Haley, Chris Rice, the president of the company. And I feel like Daniel, I feel like it's definitely gonna be a better fit over at Colleague than at Willow Joe Gibbs Racing. I mean, they've they're somewhat turning into I wouldn't say a powerhouse, but definitely one of the top-notch teams in the Xfinity series. And now they're going to have two Cup Series teams with with Justin Haley and the other Cup Series car with AJ Allmendinger and maybe Daniel Hamric splitting time. I think that you know Daniel being there, he'll definitely get more attention compared to obviously being a Joe Gibbs Racing. And no offense to Ty Gibbs, I mean you know he's Joe Gibbs' grandson. He's very very talented, but obviously that he's going to get the most attention, just like at RCR. How the Dylan boys, Austin and Ty, how they always got a majority of the attention, Austin still does. You know, Ty, credit to him that he's trying to do it on his own terms, doing Xfinity races for Joe Gibbs this year and going back to cup full-time next year with GMS Racing. So definitely a little out of bounds, I guess you could say, by Dale Earnhardt Jr. And then the moment came. Sunday, November 7th, the NASCAR Cup Series Championship Race at Phoenix Raceway. And to no surprise, the driver that was the first to clinch a spot in the championship for was the comeback kid himself, Kyle Larson. And just a remarkable story in itself after being indefinitely suspended by NASCAR for the last 32 races of the 2020 season when he used that racial slur during an iRace at Monza on Easter. But Kyle paid his dues. You know, he did the counseling. He went to urban youth schools. He spent time away from NASCAR, just pretty much dominating dirt tracks across the country. And we all know the story about how badly Tony Stewart wanted to sign him, but Ford Motor Company ultimately put the kibosh on that. But then we know of Rick Hendrick himself, reaching out to Kyle Larson, making this deal happen, bringing back that number five, that means so much to Rick Hendrick, the first number when the company began in 1984. Then, of course, the number in the paint scheme that his late son Ricky raced in the early 2000s before his driving career came to an end in 2002 because of a shoulder injury. And for Kyle to, even though it wasn't the 48 car that Alex Bowman took over, but it was the old 48 team with Cliff Daniels and the pick crew that Jimmy Johnson had. A team that had not won since Dover, June 4, 2017. And for Kyle to get into that car and dominate the season like he did with nine wins. This is going into Phoenix. Nine wins. Almost 2,500 laps led on the year. And those nine wins, the first being at Las Vegas Motor Speedway in March, the Coca-Cola 600 at Charlotte Memorial Day weekend, the night when Hendrick Motorsports became the winningest team in NASCAR Cup Series history with their 269th win. Winning it, I guess you could say, his home track in NASCAR's return to Sonoma. And then also winning the all-star race at Texas Motor Speedway on June 13th with an incredible battle with Brad Keselowski and Chase Elliott. NASCAR's inaugural race. And Nashville Super Speedway on June 20th and being one corner away from a fourth straight win the Saturday race at Pocono when that left front tire blew out and he hit the wall and Alex Bowen was there to capitalize and take advantage. But sure enough, then win five on the year, Watkins Glen in August. Now at this point, you're really starting to wonder, is he the new road course king? Is he really unseating his teammate Chase Elliott as the road course king? Then winning the night race at Bristol, of course, in controversial fashion with Chase Elliott and Kevin Harvick having the beef that they had. But then the Charlotte Roval in October, that was probably the most impressive win, I guess you could say, how they fought alternator issues all day and all of a sudden, after crashing at Talladega the week before, at one point in that race, Kyle Larson was going to get knocked out of the round of 12. But sure enough, they fixed the alternator, went back out there, drove right through the field, and was able to win. And then reeled off three in a row again, the first time since the late great Dale Earnhardt Sr. in 1987 to win three races in a row on two separate occasions in a season, winning at Texas Motor Speedway, being the first driver to clinch a spot in the championship four, and then winning at Kansas Speedway on October 24th, the significance of it being the 17th anniversary of when Ricky Hendrick and others were killed in that plane crash on the way to Martinsville and having Ricky's pain scheme. Sure enough, Kyle Larson had won the pole for the championship race the night before at Phoenix. Starting second was his teammate and the defending cup champion Chase Elliott. Two wins on the year, NASCAR's inaugural races at Circuit of the Americas and Road America on the 4th of July. The two other drivers that had raced their way into the championship four, One of them being Denny Hamlin. Sure enough, Denny, the two wins on the year the Southern 500 at Darlington and the fall race at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. And there would have been a third if Alex Bowman didn't dump him at Martinsville Speedway the week before. And, of course, we know how pissed off Denny was, how he caught up to Alex while he was trying to do his burnouts and nosed his car against Alex's. And then how he called him a hack and said that he was fucking terrible. Sure enough, the thoughts that I've always had about Alex Bowman, leave it up to Denny Hamlin of all people. But sure enough, Denny, he qualified 6th for the race as William Byron, Ryan Blaney, 3rd and 4th. And qualifying 5th for the race was Kurt Busch and Chip Ganassi's last race as a company. But the other driver that had made it in was his teammate our 2017 champion, Martin Trex Jr., Martin had qualified all the way back in 12th. Four wins on the year for Martin, beginning with, actually, Phoenix Raceway back in March. Then at Martinsville Speedway in April, Darlington on Mother's Day, and Richmond on September 11th. Those were your four championship drivers. And just a little after 3.30 on the East Coast, the championship race was underway with Kyle Larson and Chase Sully on the front row. Chase taking the lead two laps in, and then eight laps in, Corey LaJoy going down into turn three, what used to be turn one at Phoenix. <laughs> but Corey LaJoy getting into Bubba Wallace and Bubba backing it into the fence and finishing 39th and last on the day, his season coming to a very, very quick end. But those first few laps, Kyle Larson was not happy with his car whatsoever and ultimately cliff daniels brought him in they made some adjustments and he was all the way back in about 34th or 35th and fourth in the championship and at this point you're thinking well it's looking like chase is just going to walk off with, with back-to-back championships the one driver that really impressed me a lot and then ironically cory lejoy just crashing eight laps after he got into bubba when himself and ricky stenhouse jr the same corner but ryan blaney who had just barely missed out on the championship for Todd Gordon's last race as a crew chief, Ryan, looked really, really strong, as did Kevin Harvick, unfortunately for Kevin, his first winless season since 2009. But the deeper we got into a run at Phoenix Raceway, the faster Martin Trex Jr. got, taking the lead on lap 51 and the championship at that point. But the the problem that derailed Martin all day was not just these cautions, But ultimately, the pit stops, somewhat like it was for Brad Keselowski and Jeremy Bollins last year. Every time Martin came down pit road, they would always lose spots. And so, sure enough, that put Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson in the catbird seat as far as this championship. And Martin, just like Brad last year, having to fight his way through traffic every single time. But still, it didn't look like Kyle Larson had the best car. It really didn't. It looked like Martin Trex Jr. and Chase Elliott by far had the two best cars and Cliff Daniels having to make adjustment after adjustment after adjustment to get that five car right for Kyle Larson. And sure enough, Martin winning the first stage, and ultimately, towards the end of the second stage, I guess you could say that the car was finally driving to Kyle Larson's liking as he took the lead on lap 162 and would go on to win the second stage over his teammate Chase Elliott. But even still, Chase really, really showed so much speed. And Martin did as well, as we got into a long green flag run as usual. But when you know it, as Martin it was on pit road to make his last stop of the day on lap 284, and potentially something that would, could propel him to a second championship, a brake rotor comes out of David Starr's car going down a turn three, and that sort of derailed it right then and there for Martin. But that last pit stop, Kyle Larson's number five pit crew, the last pit stop ever with five lug nuts before we move on to the next-gen era and the one lug nut on on the wheels. An 11.8-second pit stop by this Cliff Daniels-led pit crew. And sure enough, Kyle had that track position for those last 27 laps. And a perfect 10 on the year, the comeback kid, Kyle Larson, winning at Phoenix to be the 2021 NASCAR Cup Series champion. Over the closing laps, Martin Trex Jr. tried his best. Denny Hamlin tried his best as well, but for two years in a row, Denny Hamlin and Chris Gabehart, they make it all the way to the championship race, but just didn't have that raw speed that a Martin Trex Jr., a Kyle Larson, or a Chase Elliott had. So Martin Trex Jr. finishing second in the championship for the third time in the past four seasons ever since he won that 2017 championship. Denny Hamlin finishing third in the race and third in the championship. Ryan Blaney fourth in Todd Gordon's last race as a crew chief. And Chase Elliott faded to fifth at the very end and fourth in the championship. Sixth was Eric Almirola. What a way to cap off really a topsy-turvy season after struggling most of the year. The surprise win at New Hampshire in the dark in July. Definitely a, a strong finish to 2021 for Eric Almirola. Kyle Bush in seventh, definitely some wonderful, wonderful news that just came out about Kyle and his wife, Samantha. We know about their son, Brexton, who's six years old, and we know how hard Samantha has tried for years and years to have a girl, unfortunately suffering through several miscarriages and everything, but sure enough, just a couple days ago, Kyle and Samantha, they did announce that they are expecting a girl, a girl in May of 2022, so congratulations to Kyle, Samantha, and Brexton. Kevin Harvick, like I said, the first winless season of his career since 2009, finishing 8th in the race and 5th in the championship, just beating Brad Keselowski for 5th in the championship by 7 points, Christopher Bell in ninth, and Brad Keselowski in his final race in that two car for Team Penske, finishing 10th in the race and 6th in the championship. After the race was over, Brad got out of that two car for the last time. Got some Miller Lights, had that giant glass from when he won the 2012 championship, the giant Miller Light glass. Poured Miller Lights for his crew, for Ryan Blaney. Joey Logano came, even though he didn't, didn't have a beer. But Brad pretty much gave a toast to everyone. Everyone on the two-team. Ryan Blaney, members of the 12-team, members of the 22-team, obviously that used to be the two-crew. Definitely a, a, a classy gesture to end 12 years at Team Penske. So, his now ex-teammate, Joey Logano, was 11th. Matt DiBenedetto, his last race in the 21 car and 12th. No plans for Matt in 2022. So, Johnny Glow looks like you might have to look for a driver again, man. Cole Custer, 13th. Horrible, horrible season. Ross Chastain, 14th. And Chip Ganassi's final race as a car owner. Austin Dillon, 15th. Kurt Busch, As I said, Chip Ganassi's final race. William Byron in 17th after looking very, very strong early on. Teammate Alex Bowman after the controversial win at Martinsville. Nothing translating over to success at his home track as he finished 18th. Tyler Reddick in 19th. He was without Randall Burnett because of COVID protocols. Ryan Priest the final race for the 37 car in 20th. Daniel Suarez was 21st, Eric Jones 22nd, and 23rd, Ryan Newman. His last race in the sixth car that Brad Keselowski has now taken over. And more than likely, I would have to say, probably the final race of Ryan Newman's career, unless some news comes about in 2022. The only potential thing I heard is maybe driving for Wick Rare Racing, but Rick Ware. I know that they're trying to get an alliance with Stuart Haas Racing, or they will, but, I mean, Rick Ware Racing, definitely some of the slowest cars in the field. So, Ryan Newman, if this is it, what an incredible career. 21 years, 18 wins, including the 2008 Daytona 500, the 2013 Brickyard 400, 51 pulls. I mean, those early days when he drove that number 12 all car for Team Penske, pretty much every Friday when you would watch qualifying, it wouldn't matter if it was at Phoenix, Charlotte, Atlanta, Rockingham, wherever you knew Ryan Newman was going to win the pole for Sunday's race, winning a pole in one out of every four races, and really being a hard, fair, and honest racer, and finishing second in the 2014 championship to Kevin Harvick, driving the 31 car for Richard Childress Racing. And, of course, we can never forget that horrible crash at the 2020 Daytona 500 and miraculously being able to walk away and walk out of the hospital just two days later with his daughter side by side. So, Ryan, if this is it, thank you for an incredible career. Thank you for being one of the last true old-school racers that this sport has ever had. Our Daytona 500 champion, Michael McDowell, finishing 24th. 25th was Chris Buescher. Some great news on Tuesday that Brad Keselowski announced that Chris will be working in 2022 with Scott Graves. They worked together the last five races of this season. They finished third at the Roval. But Chris and Scott Graves, they did win the 2015 NASCAR Xfinity Series Championship together. 26th was Justin Moneymaker Haley before he heads up to Cup full-time in 2022. And the 16th with Colleague Racing. 27th was BJ McLeod. 28th, Cody Ware. 29th was Joey Gase. 30th, Josh Balicki. 31st was Garrett Smithley, 32nd Corey LaJoy after being involved in several accidents. David Starr with brake issues in 33rd. Anthony Alfredo crashed out of the race in 34th, and Anthony will not be back in that 38 car. Our 2021 NASCAR Cup Series Rookie of the Year, Chase Briscoe. Chase had a good run going, but crashed and finished on 35th. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. crashed as well on lap 140 when he had the right front tire go down. But an incredible weekend out at Phoenix for Ricky as he proposed to his girlfriend, Madison. Congratulations to them. Quinn Huff crashing out in the final race for Starcom Racing in 37th. Timmy Hill, 38th with handling issues. And like I said, Bubba Wallace, our Talladega winner, finishing 39th. Bubba, as I know, just had some shoulder surgery a couple days ago. But Kyle Larson, what an incredible story. And just seeing the tears in his eyes during his victory lap and for Hendrick Motorsports to reassert themselves as the dominant team in the NASCAR Cup Series, their 14th NASCAR Cup Series championship. They won forward with Jeff Gordon, the first championship for the five cars since Texas Terry Labonte, all the way back in 1996 when Kyle Larson was only four years old at the time. Then, of course, the seven championships by Jimmy Johnson, including five in a row from 2006 to 2010. And then, of course, Chase Elliott winning the championship last year. I think that Hendrick, like I said, I will not be surprised. I know that we have the next-gen car coming in 2022, but I think that they have definitely shown a lot of strength and muscle and reasserting themselves as the, the dominant team and the standard in the NASCAR Cup Series. And I will not be shocked one bit. I mean, my championship picks for next year, are John Hunter, Nemechek, and Trucks, Ty Gibbs, and Xfinity. I'm telling you guys right now, I thought that Chase Elliott – Alan Gustafson and of the nine team. I thought that they were going to be the next dynasty. Uh-uh. They missed that opportunity right then and there. The next dynasty in this sport, without a doubt, is going to be Kyle Larson, Cliff Daniels, and that number 500 Motorsports Chevrolet team. So as I said, this past Tuesday at Charlotte Motor Speedway, Brad Keselowski, Jack Roush, and Steve Newmark having a press conference to announce the rebranding of Roush Fenway Racing. I mean, it was Roush Racing, From the beginning in 1988 to 2006, John Henry of the Boston Red Sox and the Fenway Sports Group, they bought in in 2007, and it became Roush-Fenway. And now the latest chapter come 2022, or actually now when you think of it, RFK Racing, Roush-Fenway-Keslowski. And the press release read, that Roush Fenway Racing announced today a robust re-branding, rebranding strategy that will see the organization change its official name to Roush Fenway Keselowski, RFK. The team unveiled a new branding campaign and all-new marks at a media luncheon at Charlotte Motor Speedway on Tuesday. The branding includes a new organizational logo structure as well as a rebranding of the team's number, iconic number six mark. Team President Steve Newmark said, we are excited about this chapter in our team's history for our whole team. It has been vitally important to spend time and energy around this process to capture the right message about who we are as we move forward as an organization. And then, of course, you know, Steve Newmark said that, you know, tons of interviews and evaluation of our legacy and what stood out was that our ownership group represents three fundamental pillars and each will continue our success going forward. And <clears throat> I think that this uh, this is such a monumental step for Brad Keselowski. You know, to be 38, going to turn 38 years old on February 12th, the same age that Tony Stewart was when he left the powerhouse at Joe Gibbs Racing and took that ownership stake in Haas Racing, Gene Haas, and people were thinking, you're committing career suicide. Like, what are you doing here? You know, you're leaving a dominant team for a team that is struggling to win races. But you could feel Brad's presence immediately, and you could tell really, like, how rejuvenated he is. Not that he wasn't to begin with, but a change will do you good, as Sheryl Crow once said. And seeing Brad walk into his office, his new office at RFK, and just talking about how much he's always dreamed of this moment, You know, to not only be a NASCAR Cup Series driver, but to be an owner as well. When you see how successful your father, Bob, was as an owner and a driver at the same time in the Arca Series and the early days of the Craftsman Truck Series. You know, Brad said to himself at the announcement, he said, Today's announcement is more than a fancy new logo. It's an acknowledgement to our heritage, a renewed commitment to our people, and a stake in the ground that says, We are here to operate top-tier teams in the sport of NASCAR for decades to come. I'm thrilled to be a part of this next chapter with Jack Roush and John Henry. So sure enough, the two teams, the number six, like I said, that's been vacated by Ryan Newman, that's Brad Keselowski's now. And I mean, what a team that they are putting together. Matt McCall, who was Kurt Busch's crew chief for the past three seasons at Chip Ganassi, and sure enough, All three seasons, they won races. 2019 at Kentucky Speedway, 2020 at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, and this past July at Atlanta Motor Speedway. And two out of those three times beating younger brother Kyle, knowing how dominant he has been over the past decade or so, I guess you could say. And, I mean, for Brad to acquire TJ Majors, You know TJ, and like I said, TJ, no matter if he worked with Dale Earnhardt Jr., if he worked with Joey Logano, just the way that he calls a race that he spots, it is absolutely mind-blowing to hear him call a race, especially at Daytona and Talladega. They are putting together a really, really good team, and especially Matt McCall, TJ Majors, and how Matt was able to bring over a lot of guys that were on that one crew with Chip Ganassi Racing. I mean, just the lineup itself. <clears throat> Bob has announced TJ Majors will spot for Brad Keselowski. Matt McCall will bring car chief Nick Case, engineers Jonathan Branzel and Josh Sell. Mechanics Jonathan Ellis and Matthew House from Ganassi with him. Tire changers Steve Price, who was on the one car at Chip Ganassi Racing. John Roberts, who was a tire changer on the 24 at Hendrick Motorsports for William Byron. Definitely a good team and a good nucleus that they're putting together for himself and also the seven-team team team with Chris Buescher reuniting him with Scott Graves. So sure enough, Brad had his first test with the 6 team at Charlotte Motor Speedway this past Wednesday, the next-gen test, and it went remarkably well. Second fastest in the test behind his now ex-teammate Ryan Blaney, 25 one-hundredths of a second, William Byron third, Eric Jones in his first test with Dave Ellens in fourth. Ty Dillon, his first test with GMS in fifth, at least on the Oval instead of the Roval. Kevin Harvick in sixth and seventh. Kurt Busch, his first test with 23XI Racing, reuniting himself with crew chief Billy Scott. They worked together at Stewart Haas Racing in 2018, and they did win the night race together at Bristol and came so, so close to making the championship four, only to get crashed at Phoenix. Justin Moneymaker Haley was 8th, Michael McDowell ninth, and Denny Hamlin 10th. That was the Wednesday test at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Then the Thursday test at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Taking a look at the speeds and results from that test. And the fastest at the test was Eric Almarola by 26 100th of a second over teammate Kevin Harvick, Kurt Busch in 3rd, Ryan Blaney and Joey Logano 4th and 5th, William Byron 6th, Brad Keselowski in 7th, BJ McLeod 8th, Ty Dillon ninth, and Eric Jones in 10th. And like I said, testing is testing. But regardless, I think that I'm cautiously optimistic about the next-gen car. And then, of course, like I said, the one lug nut and everything. And while the speeds gradually improved on Thursday, it still concerns me that you know they were running in somewhat packs on wednesday and thursday and it was really really hard to pass cars just like it was with the 550 horsepower high downforce package so it's hard to judge after one test but i I still feel like nascar needs to make some sort of improvement so yesterday morning sure enough nascar did announce the return of practice and qualifying for its race weekends in 2022 with a dramatic knockout style qualifying format setting the starting lineup for each nascar cup series race The announcement comes after nearly two seasons with race weekends, largely held without practice or qualifying a procedure born out of necessity to reduce travel days and on-site personnel while navigating the COVID-19 pandemic. In 2022, all events across all three NASCAR National Series are scheduled to include qualifying. NASCAR Senior Vice President of Competition Scott Miller said NASCAR is excited to return to practice and qualifying to its race weekends. We've missed cars and trucks on track all weekend long and so did our fans. We work closely with our broadcast partners, teams, and racetracks to create an exciting, unique qualifying format while keeping several of the efficiencies that helped our entire industry successfully navigate the pandemic. For a majority of the NASCAR Cup Series schedule, the field will be split into two groups and participate in a practice and qualifying event that will last approximately two hours. The two-hour window will allow broadcast partners ample time and ability to cover the entire field, bringing wide-ranging, in-depth stories and insight to millions of fans in every weekend. During six NASCAR Cup Series weekends, five NASCAR Xfinity Series weekends, and eight NASCAR Camping World Truck Series weekends, NASCAR will implement an extended practice schedule which will feature one standalone 15-minute practice as well as a qualifying event. Daytona International Speedway Speed Weeks and the lead-up to the Daytona 500 will employ the extended practice format for all three series. Bush Pole Award qualifying for the Daytona 500 is scheduled for Wednesday evening, February 26, 2022. So for the Cup Series, it says Group A and Group B for ovals, single cars, one lap, and the top five from both groups will transfer into the final round. Single car, one lap, and the fastest qualifier earns the Bush Pole Award. Two laps of qualifying at Martinsville, Bristol, Richmond, and Dover. Sure enough, the shorter track's on the schedule. For Daytona and Talladega, all cars. Single car, one lap qualifying, top ten transferred to the final round. And sure enough, that last round, one lap again, fastest qualifier earns the Bush Pole Award. For the road courses, Two 15-minute time sessions for Group A and Group B. The top five from both will transfer to the final round. And in a 10-minute time session, fastest qualifier earns the Bristol Pole Award. And then for the Bristol Dirt Race on Easter Sunday, sure enough, they will have four qualifying races like they intended to back in March before those races were washed out by rain. And the lineup for qualifying will be based on a random draw. Now, the standalone 50-minute practice sessions will be the Daytona 500, the March race at Atlanta, which has somewhat changed their banking, I guess you could say. 28 degrees of banking now. The Bristol Dirt race, the inaugural race at Gateway on June 5th, Nashville Super Speedway on June 26th, and, of course, the championship race at Phoenix on November 6th. The way I look at it is it feels good to have practice and qualifying back. 15 minutes of practice. That feels that feels like a bit of a rush. Obviously, you don't have that much time to make adjustments, or if God forbid, you you wreck or have to change an engine. So the group qualifying, I'm still not really sold on that. I mean I sort of like single car qualifying, but it definitely feels good to to get back to to get back to somewhat of, of an old way and somewhat of a new way. And then as far as I know they said as far as the Cup Series that there will be no practice sessions, I believe, at Daytona and the August, race at, or the August race at Daytona and the Talladega races, which is really, really smart because we know how it, it's easy running in a big pack to tear up so many race cars. So I cannot wait for the 2022 NASCAR Cup Series season. I cannot wait to go to Pocono. It's definitely going to be an exciting time for sure in the sport. So before I give my picks for Week 11 in the National Football League, some big news That came down this morning just a little after 9 30. Ben Roethlisberger has been cleared to play Sunday Night Football on NBC at the Los Angeles Chargers. Definitely a huge break for the Pittsburgh Steelers after undoubtedly the most pathetic and embarrassing performance in their 88 year history this past Sunday to tie against the 0 8 Detroit Lions. And I just want to talk about that for a second before I get into picking all these games. The Pittsburgh Steelers should be, should be absolutely ashamed of themselves for the way they performed this past Sunday against the Detroit Lions. And if this wasn't a wake-up call to find Ben Roethlisberger's success for, for whenever that day comes that he wants to retire, if it's after this season or next season, whenever, if that wasn't a wake-up call, I don't know what is. When I found out last Saturday night that Ben Roethlisberger had tested positive for COVID-19 and that he would be out against the Detroit Lions... Just knowing right then and there that Mason Rudolph was going to start, I knew they were not going to win that game. And think about that for a second. The 0-8 Detroit Lions, by far the worst team in the National Football League. What does that say about Mason Rudolph? I think that speaks volumes about the lack of confidence that I have in him as a quarterback, as a starter, as a leader. Kyle Williams said it this past Monday night. He said he showed that he is not capable of being a starting quarterback in the National Football League. Not. When you tie against the 0-8 Detroit Lions, you know, you've had four seasons to prove yourself. The Pittsburgh Steelers wasted a second-round pick on you in 2018. You've shown very little improvement, if any. You had your chance in 2019 when Ben Roethlisberger was lost for the season two weeks in with that elbow injury and performed very, and I mean very, subpar, and that's just being generous. He has he really doesn't have the arm strength that people say he does. He has no accuracy, no leadership. You know, he might be a little, little mobile, he might be a little athletic in terms of that, but I mean really what is there? He is not starter material in the National Football League in the Pittsburgh Steelers, they extended him through twenty twenty two, and there was talk during the summer that they want to make him the the, the starter? Are you freaking kidding me? Seriously. Like, what the hell is going on with the Pittsburgh Steelers, especially with this quarterback situation? You tie against the 0-8 Detroit Lions. You throw the ball over 50 times when it's 36 degrees out and pouring rain. When you have Najee Harris, your first-round pick out of Alabama, and you only give him the ball 26 times for 105 yards when your offensive line has clearly made improvement from the first four weeks of the season. And, you know, the thing with Steelers fans is there's always an excuse for everything. And I'm a Steelers fan myself, but I'm talking about the ones that drink the Kool-Aid when it comes to Mike Tomlin and Mason Rudolph. You know, oh, well, he had less than 24 hours to prepare. Oh, it was 36 degrees and pouring out. You know what? I don't want to hear the bullshit excuses, okay? When you tie against the 0-8 Detroit Lions, you should not even be on an NFL roster for that matter. And I understand that it's an entire team effort, but still, there's absolutely no reason whatsoever that Mason Rudolph should ever be a starter in the National Football League, much less be on a roster. Then on top of that, their third-string quarterback, Dwayne Haskins. How Mike Tomlin, oh, Mike Tomlin signed Dwayne Haskins because they're from the same hometown. Really, Mike, that's a quality excuse right then and there. That's a quality reason to sign someone that... Washington probably didn't even want to take in the first place, but Daniel Snyder, the owner, he forced it upon Jay Gruden, you know, let's draft Dwayne Haskins, and then clearly someone that cares more about partying, doesn't care about football, Ron Rivera cut that dead weight right then and there. You know, you should be cutting dead weight with those two knuckleheads, talking about Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins. And what I mean by this is Aditi Kinkabwala from NFL Network, who covers the AFC North teams, especially the Pittsburgh Steelers, how this past Sunday, at home against the Detroit Lions, knowing that this could potentially be your opportunity to come into the game, knowing how much Mason Rudolph struggles, like I said, over 20 incomplete passes, and an interception on top of it. And you're... Spending more time going through your phone than you are throwing footballs. Well, what does that say about this team? Seriously. You know, if Mike Tomlin, Art Rooney, and Kevin Colbert, if they feel like you know, their future is with Mason Rudolph and they want to sign, and they sign Dwayne Haskins just because he's from the same freaking hometown as you, seriously, I cannot be more embarrassed in my 26 years as a Pittsburgh Steelers fan than I was this past Sunday. Seriously, both of them. Both of them have no business, Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins, have no business being a part in the National Football League and being on a roster, period, cut and dry. Cut the dead weight in 2022 and get rid of both of them and work hard to find that successor. You know, If you have to sign someone through free agency, if you have to trade for a quarterback, draft one. You should have drafted one this past year, but no. No, you believe in Mason Rudolph. What a terrible, pathetic excuse. Seriously, and the other thing is, you know, potentially wanting to make Mason Rudolph the starter in twenty twenty two. Let me say this right here: Ben Roethlisberger has been in this league for eighteen seasons, eighteen seasons, two championships, Super Bowl forty, Super Bowl forty three, and a third appearance in Super Bowl forty five. Thirteen and zero as a rookie in the regular season in two thousand four. Every quarterback record for the Pittsburgh Steelers in the book. Aside from championships, you know, Terry Bradshaw, you know, he had such a great team that carried him to those four championships in the 70s. I think that Ben Roethlisberger deserves to go out on his own terms, okay? That's just my opinion. But seriously, when it's time for him to retire, let him go out on his own terms instead of (laughs) trying to start the Mason Rudolph error, I guess you could say. If you really believe that that's potentially your next... Starting quarterback, and that's your future, we will have fun finishing last in the AFC North every year. Now let's get to the games. Sunday, 1 o'clock, the 0-8-1 Detroit Lions at the 5-5 Cleveland Browns. And, of course, Detroit's quarterback, Jared Goff, sustained an oblique injury during the game this past Sunday against the Pittsburgh Steelers, did not practice at all this week. So Tim Boyle, their backup quarterback, who spent three seasons in Green Bay as a backup to Aaron Rodgers, he will be making his first start tomorrow against the Cleveland Browns. And, I mean, really, as far as the Browns themselves, I think as critical as I've been of them, I think it's remarkable in itself how Baker Mayfield still continues to fight through this injury on his his left shoulder. I mean, i got to give him credit for that. But as far as the Lions themselves, I mean, Jamar Jefferson, who got a, a touchdown very early on in, in the game against the Steelers. He's been ruled out because of a knee and ankle injury. Trey Flowers, their linebacker, he's out. Jared Goff, doubtful. And, like, and Jamal Williams, their other running back, he has a thigh injury as well. And when it comes to this game, I know the only one that's sort of questionable for the, for the Browns is Donovan Peoples-Jones, one of Baker Mayfield's favorite targets. Takaris McKinley, who they got from who used to be a part of the Falcons, he's questionable with a groin injury. I mean, really, this is by far the most boring game of the week and I definitely have to take the Cleveland Browns on this one. The 4 and 5 San Francisco 49ers at the 2 and 7 Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, really like the 49ers, I think this might just be a case of too little, too late. I mean, what a dominant performance on Monday night, against the Los Angeles Rams, 31-10, to and Odell Beckham's debut as a Ram, and of course, the joke's already beginning, you know, Odell's on the phone, <laughs> talking to his agent, wanting to go to Green Bay, and I'm sure he's going to be making, his dad's going to be making a highlight tape of uh, Matt Stafford <laughs> doing wrong things, like he did talking about Baker Mayfield, but the San Francisco 49ers, a team that's 4-5 and five, that's been derailed with injuries really all season long, and especially at the running back position, Elijah Mitchell, doubtful for tomorrow with a finger injury. Jamichael Hasty, he's out tomorrow with an ankle injury. So I think what Kyle Shanahan is going to do, I think that he will have Jimmy Garoppolo throw, but not too much and sort of put this game in the hands of Jeff Wilson Jr., their other running back. The Jacksonville Jaguars themselves, of course, James Robinson, by far the best player on the team, uncertain for tomorrow as he deals with both a heel injury and a knee injury. I'm definitely taking the San Francisco 49ers. The 1-8 Houston Texans at the 8-2 Tennessee Titans, baby. Woo! And I'll tell you this in all seriousness. When I was on Twitter yesterday, the question was asked, who should be NFL Head Coach of the Year? And, of course, you know you have your candidates, the usual candidates like, say, Sean McDermott from the Buffalo Bills, Matt LaFleur from the Green Bay Packers, Zach Taylor of the Cincinnati Bengals, Cliff Kingsbury from the Arizona Cardinals. So, so many worthy candidates. Mike McCarthy of the Dallas Cowboys, that's another one. And the more I thought of it, the more you have to consider Mike Vrabel. And, I mean, Mike is definitely one of my favorite head coaches. And I think Bill Cowher said it himself because, I mean, Bill Cowher and the Steelers, they drafted him in 1997. And Bill, two years ago when the Titans, when they went on that run and almost made it to the Super Bowl, losing to the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC Championship, I remember when Bill Cowher said that he sees a younger side of himself and Mike Vrabel, And I think all the injuries that they are dealing with, talking about the Tennessee Titans, Derek Henry, what else can you say? Derek Henry being lost for potentially six to ten weeks when he suffered a broken bone in his foot on, the, on Halloween against the Indianapolis Colts. He's been out for almost a month, and he still leads the league in rushing. But he's obviously out. They'll be getting him back in time for the playoffs. But you look at the guys that are out tomorrow for the Tennessee Titans. Nate Davis, one of their guards. Bud Dupree, who they got from the Steelers, abdomen injury. Rashawn Evans, another one, ankle injury. He's ruled out for tomorrow. Jeremy McNichols, one of their running backs. Concussion. Jeff Swain, tight end, concussion. I mean, the amount of injuries that they have, and they are 8-2. And how dominant they were on Sunday Night Football a couple weeks ago against the Los Angeles Rams. To me, at the moment, Mike Vrabel, definitely, and I mean, definitely gets my vote for NFL coach of the year to be 8 and 2 the number one seed in the AFC and of course like i said the best excuse me the best record in the National Football League and of course the Houston Texans themselves i mean Deshaun Watson is still there but obviously he's not going to play this year just an absolute mess of a team with the Houston Texans definitely and i mean definitely taking the Tennessee Titans on this one the eight and two Green Bay Packers at the four and five Minnesota Vikings. Of course, I think one of the biggest things, Aaron, or Aaron Jones coming back, or excuse me, Aaron Rodgers coming back from COVID nineteen, missing the game two weeks ago against the Kansas City Chiefs. But Aaron Jones, their top running back, the MCL terror this past Sunday against the Seattle Seahawks, he's been ruled out for tomorrow. Alan Lazard, doubtful with a shoulder injury. Rashawn Gary questionable with an elbow injury. And, of course, like I said, the Minnesota Vikings, this might be another case there in so many close games and so many losses. And like Johnny Glow said, I think ultimately this is going to end up costing Mike Zimmer his job at the end of the year. I mean, you look at the Minnesota Vikings, 4-5 and five on the year. Just listen to these losses that, that they have suffered. Week 1, 27-24 in overtime against the Cincinnati Bengals. And then Greg Joseph missing the kick week two against the Arizona Cardinals, 34-33. Somewhat of a dominant win at home against the Seattle Seahawks, but losing to the Browns, 14-7. Barely beating the Lions, 19-17. Beating the Panthers in overtime, but losing to the Dallas Cowboys without Dak Prescott, Sunday night football with less than a minute to go, 20-16. Losing to the Baltimore Ravens, 34-31 in overtime after they led most of that game and just barely skating by with a, win against the, the, <clears throat> with a win against the Chargers all the way out in L.A. this past Sunday. I think that this is going to be, I mean, it's a rivalry game. These two always play each other hard, but ultimately I have to go with the Minnesota, or not the Minnesota Vikings, I've got to go with the Green Bay Packers on this one. Sorry, Johnny Glow. I mean, I definitely want to see them win, but just that gut feeling that I have right now. The 6-3 Baltimore Ravens at the 3-6 Chicago Bears. And, of course, Lamar Jackson missed some time this week in practice because of an illness. Thankfully, it doesn't seem COVID-related, but it seems like he's miss, missed a lot of practice time. And I think when I, I look at these two teams, definitely a huge blow for the Chicago Bears with Khalil Mack being put on injury reserve and out the rest of the year with a foot injury. And I think the time is definitely taken for Matt Nagy and, I mean, some close, obviously the close game against the Steelers on Monday night a few weeks ago. But with him being out, Akeem Hicks being out with an ankle injury, Allen Robinson with a hamstring, it's doubtful that he's going to play tomorrow. And I know that, you know, the Ravens themselves, I mean, they've dealt with injuries all season long, With whether it's Latavius Murray, Marquise Brown, Devin Duvernay, Nick Boyle, Jimmy Smith, one of their corners. But I think ultimately, I think the Ravens, I think they bounced back from such an embarrassing loss that they had last week on Thursday Night Football against the Miami Dolphins. So I'm definitely taking them over the Chicago Bears. Then, of course, we move to the 4 o'clock games. The 5-4 Cincinnati Bengals at the 5-4 Las Vegas Raiders. And I mean, really, such an unfortunate situation with everything that's been going on with the Raiders. When you... When Myself and Kyle Williams, when we went to the game week two, talking about the Raiders at the Steelers, and we were on our way back to Kyle's house in State College, they were 2-0, and I could just hear the optimism and the enthusiasm in Kyle's voice about this team starting 2-0, and then 3-0 when they beat the Miami Dolphins the next Sunday. And then it just seemed like everything unraveled. Of course, the John Gruden email situation and then having to resign. And now John Gruden's suing the National Football League. I don't know what good's going to come out of that. It doesn't matter. I mean, I think his coaching days are well, well over. But, you know, Rich Passaccia, their special teams coach, becoming the interim head coach and winning their first two games right off the bat beating the Denver Broncos in Denver, knowing how tough of a place that is to play, especially for the Raiders over the years, and then beating the Philadelphia Eagles in convincing fashion, 33-22, to 22, and heading into their bye. But then, of course, the bye week rolls around, and you hear about the disgusting act of Henry Ruggs III driving under the influence, smashing his Corvette, going 156 miles an hour into another car, and, of course, that woman and her dog dying and you could tell the next sunday when they had to go all the way out to new jersey and play the new york giants you could just you could just tell like how much of how just like the chicago bears game one day before gruden resigned you could tell that they just weren't in it and then of course an embarrassing loss at home sunday night against the kansas city chiefs 41 to 14 unfortunately i feel like that collapse is going to continue for the raiders I think the Bengals, they realize they've got to get themselves back on track after such a great start to the season at five and two. And I just feel like all of the internal problems that the Raiders have been having, like I said, the John Gruden scandal, the Henry Rugg scandal, unfortunately, I just see it continuing and I'm taking the Cincinnati Bengals. The eight and two Arizona Cardinals at the three and six Seattle Seahawks. DeAndre Hopkins will be missing another game with a hamstring injury. And, I mean, really, this could have come at a better time. It sounds like Kyler Murray will be making his return tomorrow when they travel to Seattle after missing the last three games, suffering an ankle injury the Thursday night game when they lost to the Green Bay Packers. They have definitely been reeling ever since. I mean, they had enough to beat the San Francisco 49ers, but to be embarrassed this past Sunday at home, Cam Newton, his first game back as a Carolina Panther, that was definitely... I mean, definitely eye-opening, to say the least. And also, I'll have to get into that game in just a second here. But when I look at the Arizona Cardinals and I look at the Seattle Seahawks, I think that Russell Wilson, you could definitely tell this past Sunday that he was rushed back way, way too soon with the middle finger injury that he had suffered the Thursday night game against the Rams on October 7th. He definitely did not look good this past Sunday. And, I mean, the first time in his career... He was shut out, 17-0, the first time the Seahawks had been shut out since September of 2011 when they lost to the Steelers, 18-0. God, that seems like such a long time ago now. But definitely the worst season the Seattle Seahawks have been having, the worst start to a season since 2011, the year before they drafted Russell Wilson. And I think... Ultimately, if he leaves after this season, there was rumors about him wanting to be traded to the Bears or the Saints or the Raiders. There was some talk last week that he might want to be traded to the Philadelphia Eagles next year. Without Russell Wilson, the Seattle Seahawks, they're a four-win team, like Colin Coward said. So I just think having Kyler Murray back, I feel like ultimately these are two teams that are really, really banged up right now. And I'm definitely going to take the Arizona Cardinals couple other notable games, early games to talk about. The 5-4 and four, New Orleans Saints at the 4-6 and six Philadelphia Eagles. Alvin Kamara out once again because of a knee injury. Mark Ingram being brought back, sure enough, looking like the Mark Ingram of old, like he had never left. And, I mean, they have so many injuries. Talking about the Saints. Ty Montgomery, he's out with a hand injury. Teron Armstead, one of their offensive linemen, knee and a shoulder injury. Ryan Ramchak, another one on the offensive line. And, of course, Taysom Hill, the Swiss Army knife that he is, he's questionable with a foot injury. You cannot trust Trevor Simeon whatsoever. You know, just losing Jameis Winston a couple weeks ago with a torn ACL. The Philadelphia Eagles—they're four and six, and it's—it's it's sort of hard to believe that they're four and six. But it's—it doesn't really seem as ugly as it did at the beginning of the year. Now, obviously, there's still a lot of question marks as far as the defense is concerned. I know that Derek Barnett. It doesn't seem it seems like he's questionable tomorrow with a neck injury, but I think ultimately I will have to go with the Philadelphia Eagles on this one. I just feel like Jalen Hurts is going to have a big game. I don't really see the Saints defense being being really all that spectacular, and just the amount of injuries that they have, I'm taking the Philadelphia Eagles. Although Nick Sirianni, he definitely needs to be a little more balanced on the offense attack, especially. I know Jalen Hurts is a running quarterback, but, God, it seems like they barely run the ball at all. The 3-7 and seven Miami Dolphins at the 2-7 and seven New York Jets. Then, of course, all of the struggles that the Jets have a quarterback. You know, Zach Wilson, doubtful once again with a knee injury. And Mike White, it was a nice surprise when they, they beat the Cincinnati Bengals. And, you know, he was saying, like, oh, you know, I feel like I should have been the first pick overall. And then you go and you throw four interceptions against the Buffalo Bills. Definitely not the smartest thing to say. <laughs> you know? But Joe Flacco will be starting at quarterback for the New York Jets. He's back with them after a brief time with the Philadelphia Eagles. Tua tonga no longer questionable or doubtful. That was definitely a strange situation how he came into the Thursday night game against the Baltimore Ravens, led them to a victory. And that's the thing, like, you know, Tua, his numbers actually haven't been that bad this year. But I would have to say, with the Dolphins and the Jets, and really the Jets, the only good thing that they really have on offense that I would have to say is Michael Carter and Elijah Moore to their, their draft picks this year. I'm taking the Miami Dolphins. And then, the reunion game. the three and six Washington football team, the five and five Carolina Panthers. Of course, we all know the story. Back in 2011, the Carolina Panthers. Having the number one pick after going two and 14 in 2010, they hire Ron Rivera to become the head coach, and with that first pick, they take Cam Newton number one overall out of Auburn after that amazing season that he had in 2010, winning the national championship, and those two together, Cam Newton and Ron Rivera, how they made the playoffs in 2013 and 20, they made the playoffs in 2013, 2014, 2015 and ultimately that amazing season that they had in 2015 going 15 and 1 going all the way to the Super Bowl but things sort of unraveling right then and there when Cam Newton when he didn't dive for that that fumble so you lose the Super Bowl to the Broncos 24 to 10 the final game of Peyton Manning's career and how Cam just sort of stormed off like the immature child he's always been you know when when the media asked him about not diving for that fumble from that point on the injuries mounted mounted up they made the playoffs in 2017, but really, after Cam had the car accident, after the shoulder injury, the, the foot injury, sure enough, 2019 rolls around, and the Carolina Panthers dismiss Ron Rivera after eight and a half seasons on the job in early December. But Ron, it didn't take long. The Washington football team, they hired him January 2nd of 2020. And the great thing about Ron is Ron is one of the classiest men in the National Football League, and he's a no bullshit, disciplined kind of coach, kind of like a Bruce Arians or Bill Belichick. But Ron is such a classy person, and he left Carolina on really, really good terms and said that he still has so many people in that Charlotte area that he is still friends with to this day, and even people on the Carolina Panthers for that matter. Of course, for Cam Newton, you know, they cut Cam Newton after they hired Matt Rule to become the head coach. He signs with the New England Patriots, and he sort of knew that his fate was sealed right then and there when they drafted Matt Jones in the first round back in April. And sure enough, they cut him after preseason, and Cam is spending all this time on the couch. And ultimately, the Carolina Panthers take him back. And they signed him on November 11th, and really how Matt Rule brought him in for just a couple players— just a couple of plays and the two touchdowns that he had how Cam was shouting into into the camera saying I'm back. And really I think that time away from Carolina, the time in New England and like I said the last few months being unemployed. When I saw Cam Newton this past Sunday, that game, that blowout against the Arizona Cardinals, he looked like a leader talking to his teammates on the sideline. And of course, the other The other funny thing about all this, Curtis Samuel, who is with the Carolina Panthers, he's now with the Washington football team, as is Taylor Heineke, one of the last backups that Ron Rivera had when he was in Carolina. Now the starting quarterback for the Washington football team, especially, with Ryan Fitzpatrick unlikely coming back the rest of the year with a hip injury. He suffered week one against the Chargers. This is one of the tougher games to pick. Now, Ricky Seals-Jones, the tight end for Washington, he has been an amazing Amazing acquisition, but he's out tomorrow with a hip injury. Shaka Tony, who they got from Penn State, he's out with a concussion. Curtis Samuel, he's been hurt all year. It's really, really hard to say. Like, I wanna lean towards Washington in this game, but I just feel like Cam Newton has provided a spark and an energy that they were missing for such a long time. And obviously I think Sam Darnold, you know. The amazing start that he got off to 3-0, but once again getting hurt and just being very, very inconsistent. I think that this is pretty much Cam Newton's job to lose. I'm taking the Carolina Panthers tomorrow. The 5-5 Indianapolis Colts at the 6-3 Buffalo Bills. Um, really, when it comes to this game, um, you know they met back in January, the final game of Philip Rivers' career in the wild card round. Definitely a really, really close game and a game that the Colts should have won if they didn't commit so many mental mistakes in that game. But ultimately, I think the Buffalo Bills, I feel like that loss to the Jacksonville Jaguars, I feel like that was probably what they needed. It was a bit of a wake-up call. And I just see Josh Allen tomorrow. I just see Josh Allen, even against a strong Colts defense, connecting with Stephon Diggs and making it a really, really long day for that Colts defense, especially with Darius Leonard being questionable with an ankle injury. Carson Wentz, I think he has definitely shown improvements you know, reuniting himself with Frank Reich, but I have to go with the Buffalo Bills on this one. So then the game of the day, the game of the week for sure. The 7-2 and Dallas Cowboys at the 6-4 and Kansas City Chiefs on Fox. And ultimately, I was leaning towards the Dallas Cowboys with this game, with how strong and how dominant they looked this past Sunday against the Atlanta Falcons, 43-3. But it's the amount of injuries that I see. Tyron Smith, questionable with an ankle injury. Calvin Joseph, personal reasons. And then Nashawn Wright, another corner of the Cowboys, questionable with a hamstring injury. And then the huge blow they suffered yesterday with Amari Cooper being placed on the COVID-19 list. He's out for tomorrow against the Kansas City Chiefs and Thanksgiving against his old team, the Las Vegas Raiders. So I think tomorrow with Dak Prescott, I see Dak And C.D. Lamb, I see the two of them finding the end zone maybe once or twice. But with the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, I feel like that game that they had Sunday night against the Raiders, Patrick Mahomes looking like the Mahomes of old. You got Clyde edwards Lair, he's back. You got Tyreek Hill, you have Travis Kelsey. I mean, really the only one that's out is Lucas Nang, one of their offensive linemen with a rib injury. Legereus Snead, he's sort of questionable with a knee injury. I see Patrick just... The Dallas Cowboys defense has really, really come a long way. But I feel like the plays that himself and Andy Reid are going to have for tomorrow and the, the absence of Amari Cooper, I'm going to take the Kansas City Chiefs over the Dallas Cowboys in a shootout. And then Sunday Night Football on NBC, the 5-3-1 and one Pittsburgh Steelers at the 5-4 and four Los Angeles Chargers. Even though Ben Roethlisberger is back, even though Najee Harris has really, I mean, really, really come into his own. And that offensive line has improved greatly. But they'll be without Kevin Dotson tomorrow, when they their offensive linemen. But I think the biggest blow of all to the Pittsburgh Steelers, you know it. No T.J. Watt. Suffering a hip and a knee injury this past Sunday against the Detroit Lions. And I mean, really, even before T.J. went down, just the lack of, just the lack of, Efficiency. I mean, they look so out of rhythm. I'm talking about the Steelers' defense, and we know that that has sort of been like their bread and butter this this year. But Isaiah Lattermilk, he's out with a groin injury. Joe Hayden, that foot injury is bothering him once again. And even though Joey Bosa, on the Chargers, even though he's been placed on the COVID-19 list, and one of their defensive linemen, Linval Joseph, he's sort of doubtful with a shoulder injury. I just feel like the amount of injuries that the Steelers have, T.J. Watt, Joe Hayden, Dotson, Ladder Milk, and especially with Ben Roethlisberger, while I am thrilled that he is back, I mean, obviously he wasn't allowed to practice this week. I know Chase Claypool, he's coming back after the toe injury that he had suffered on Monday night against the Chicago Bears. Well, I expect them to feed the ball to Najee, and I love, I absolutely love, the addition of Pat Fryermuth, the tight end out of Penn State, that they got in the second round. I feel like... I feel like Ben is going to get Friermuth involved in the game. But I feel like the Chargers themselves, and I feel like Justin Herbert, coming off of such a close loss this past Sunday at home to the Minnesota Vikings, just right now I feel like the Chargers are a better team. And that's why I'm taking them over the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then of course we move ahead to Monday Night Football, the 3 and 6 New York Giants at the 6 and 3 Tampa Bay Buccaneers and of course some of the biggest storylines with the game Bruce Arians. You got to love it no matter win or loss, he is going to speak his mind. And he said this past Sunday when they lost to the Washington football team, that was 2 and 6 going into that game. You know, you got the Washington football team and Bruce Arians said he's like, "We are really a dumb football team right now. We are a dumb football team right now." You know, we have several good days of practice, and it just doesn't transfer over into the game itself. And of course, you know, Skip Bayless had to make it like the crime of the century that he criticized Tom Brady with some of the interceptions that he's thrown the past two games against the New Orleans Saints, and then of course against the Washington football team. But to Bruce's point, you lose to the Saints in New Orleans, granted that's expected, but you had a bye week. You had all that time to prepare against the Washington football team and you were 10-point favorites on the road in Maryland and you lose 29 to 19. And you look at the Giants, Logan Ryan who used to be on the Patriots, you know, he's been placed on the COVID reserve list and Rob Gronkowski that horrible rib injury that that he had and how he said like it felt like he'd pretty much been shot. I feel like we remember the game last year, Monday Night Football, when Tampa had to travel all the way to Jersey to play the Giants and how tough they played. They played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Ultimately, the game having to, having to go all the way to overtime and just a couple of questionable calls that that went towards the New York Giants. I feel like this is the sort of game, even though the Giants, even though they've improved and they're starting to look better, I feel like Tom Brady coming off of two straight losses and, you know, Skip Bayless basically wanted to crucify Bruce Arians for the comments that he made. I feel like this is going to be a game that Tom Brady bounces back in a considerable way. And for that, I am taking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers over the New York Giants. So just a quick recap of our games for tomorrow in the National Football League. The Philadelphia Eagles over the New Orleans Saints. The Miami Dolphins over the New York Jets. The Carolina Panthers over the Washington football team in a close one. The Buffalo Bills over the Indianapolis Colts. The Cleveland Browns over the Detroit Lions. San Francisco 49ers over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Tennessee Titans woo! over the Houston Texans. Green Bay Packers over the Minnesota Vikings. Baltimore Ravens over the Chicago Bears then for the 4 o'clock games. Cincinnati Bengals over the Las Vegas Raiders. Arizona Cardinals over the Seattle Seahawks. Kansas City Chiefs over the Dallas Cowboys. Los Angeles Chargers over the Pittsburgh Steelers. And then for... Monday Night Football, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers over the New York Giants. Now, of course, we have Thanksgiving coming up this coming Thursday. Week 12 in the National Football League will be kicking off. Of course, the two usual games that we have on Thanksgiving, sure enough at 1230 the Detroit Lions hosting the Chicago Bears. That game will be on Fox. And then at 430 the Dallas Cowboys hosting the Las Vegas Raiders. Then for the nightcap on NBC, The Buffalo Bills at the New Orleans Saints. So just to put it in perspective, I'm taking the Chicago Bears over the the Detroit Lions. I'm taking the Dallas Cowboys over a reeling Las Vegas Raiders team. And then, of course, for Thursday night football on Thanksgiving, the Buffalo Bills over the New Orleans Saints, especially when Drew Brees, who was a part of the New Orleans Saints for 15 seasons from 2006 to 2020, guiding them to that Super Bowl, Super Bowl 44 over Peyton Manning and the Colts 31-17. Drew now doing a remarkable job with NBC Sports, calling the games for Notre Dame, being a part of Football Night in America with Sunday Night Football. He's going to be calling that game on Sunday night with Mike Tirico. I mean, who knows? In the coming years, maybe that's going to be the Sunday night broadcast team. So many rumors going on right now about the future of Al Michaels, who just turned 77 years old. Amazon Prime. They're trying to lure him to do the Thursday night games beginning in 2022. And, of course, the Super Bowl this year being in Los Angeles, February 13th on NBC. And, of course, Al spending so much time out in L.A., you wonder, would that possibly be the perfect send-off for, in my mind, the best play-by-play announcer there's ever been? No disrespect to Pat Summerall, but to me, I've always been an Al Michaels fan. But at halftime, the New Orleans Saints, they will be honoring Drew Brees. So my picks for the Thanksgiving games, the Chicago Bears over the Detroit Lions, Dallas Cowboys over the Las Vegas Raiders, and the Buffalo Bills over the New Orleans Saints. That will do it for episode 84 of Jake's Take. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Hope everybody has a happy and healthy Thanksgiving with all of their loved ones. I sure will. Cannot wait for it. And then episode 84, next episode of Jake's Take, will be out next Saturday. Have a great day. Have a great weekend. Y'all take it easy.